Hello and welcome to another edition of Two Guys Discussing Software. My name is Tomas O'Leary, CEO and founder of Origina, and I'm very happy to be talking to you all today. Um, it's a tricky time to be talking to people. There's a lot going on out there. A lot of people very worried about what's happening in the world today. The last time we spoke, um, we had touched on the coronavirus, COVID-19 issue, but we're here today, myself and my very good friend, Brendan Walsh. Brendan, hello, how are you? Hey, good morning. Good morning, Tomas. We're still two Irish guys, albeit we're remote from each other discussing software. But yeah, it's good to be on the podcast again. Very interesting times. We're all working remote. I think this is the only the second podcast done where we've been remote from each other and we couldn't see each other. So might be that way for the next couple of uh, podcasts, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. And today, Brendan, we, we when we prepared this, we have a very interesting guest later on. The topic today is how could, should organizations and how a society is dealing with and should be dealing with aging technology, particularly in business and society today. Um, and we have a very good guest joining us shortly, Dr. Yomaima Haider, who is a research fellow at the University of East London. She'll be joining us in a few, min- few minutes as we do, once we've finished our, our, our usual chat. But I think it's kind of interesting, the context today between, you know, hardware obsolescence, which is obviously Yomaima's particular area, and our conversation traditionally around the whole area of software legacy. I think they're, they're connected in many, in many ways, but also not, there's also times when they're not connected. And I think we might have a co- good conversation with her about her research in that area, about sustainable IC, ICT infrastructure. So I'm looking forward to that chat later on. I wanted to just start, though. It's been it's a tricky environment out there. And Brendan, we're looking at all of the industries that are being impacted. We've got you know travel, tourism, hospitality, sports, conferences that we do, uh, non-grocery retail, you, you name it, an industry has been impacted severely. Some, very few, but some have been impacted positively. But there's so many industries, transportation, that have just been decimated, absolutely decimated overnight. What's this going to mean to the software industry? Are there, are there winners out there? Are there, are there losers? What's, what's, what are you, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, it's a very good question and it's a tough question, right? Because this is something very new. It's really unprecedented. We've seen nothing like this, you know, in our time. I mean, you can go back to the last kind of recession, you know, 2008 impacted the global economy, but it it was very different to this in that, you know, it didn't specifically impact how people work, how they travel to work, how they connect. You know, this is a very, very different kind of set of circumstances. I think the one thing that in reading some of the literature is that, you know, the economy and the world economy is essentially on pause, right? I mean, it's nearly impossible in certain sectors to, to do business right now. But that pause should, you know, we should be able to hit the play button again. We just don't know when that is. And so we therefore need to be start preparing for it. In terms of the impact on the software industry, I mean, I've been in the software industry, you know, all my life. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I do as a software sales guy is I travel um, and I go and meet people. I meet people at conferences. Um I meet clients face-to-face to discuss their problems, how we can solve them, how we can deliver our services better. So, you know, we're, we're a very, you know, we, we, 
sociable bunch of software guys. So that's going to be extremely impacted, certainly in the coming months. That impacts how we do business. You know, there is going to be, inevitably, there's going to be an impact on software sales targets because we can't go to the conferences to meet clients. We It will slow down lead generation. It'll impact deal closure, I think, right now, where deals might have otherwise been closed, but they needed people to get into a you know final boardroom presentation. So I think the software world is it's going to be challenging. I mean, there's other challenges in the production industry, you know, the likes of, let's say, if you're producing technology like iPhones or desktops or whatever, you know, that requires production facilities and requires people to be in close proximity. So there's going to be a slowdown in production. There's therefore going to be, and there's going to be a slowdown in sales because people will be risk averse to spend money. So look, I think, I think the world economy for a time is going to be on pause and that's going to affect you know, the software industry, the technology industry, and there will be winners and losers. I mean, if you look at the Irish economy, well, let's say 15% of our economy is public sector. The other 15% is kind of international businesses that operate here, big tech giants. And then 70% of the economy, like a lot of countries, but more particular to Ireland is, you know, small emerging companies, and there will be winners and losers in those. Certainly, almost immediately, we're seeing the likes of Zoom, Slack, you know, the remote uh, team workings, uh, connectivity providers probably going to thrive and and boom on the back of the particular predicament that we're in. But I'm hopeful, I think, as are many global software leaders, that this is a pause. You know, life will get back to normal. But I think we're all going to start having to think about how we might have to operate in a really what would be in a different world. And, And so that whole digital transformation, which is the theme of today, you know, comes to the forefront. Companies are going to have to adapt. They're going to have to move much more quickly to digitally transform their businesses. Yeah, no, I think I think you're I think you're right. And one of the things that brings to my mind is you, know, you look at okay, the stock markets have fallen through the floor. I mean, I think at one stage the Dow Jones was down over thirty percent. FTSE was nearly thirty five percent down. The Nikkei was over thirty percent. They're all are all dropping. Mean, these are these are drops of yeah, I don't think the, the world has ever seen drops of these kind. But if you just leave that to one side, one of the Bring it back to what is what's happening from the tech perspective, and this is something maybe we might talk about with Umaima later when we're on the, on the podcast. The importance of the technology sector now. Uh, you mentioned a couple of them there, obviously Microsoft with Teams and Zoom and uh, Slack and all these kind of providers. But the importance of technology. All these people working from home. There's no way they'd be able to work from home without broadband without applications without data centers that f- serve out the, the the technology i mean the demand must be for remote working i'm not sure what the what the impact is ultimately on the because ultimately these people will either be working in their offices or working remote i'd say the demand on bandwidth must be enormous because it, it wasn't envisaged that everybody would be so distributed oh, sure. at the same time i think there was report, reports that netflix were turning down the quality of their their feed to to free up bandwidth. I mean, I mean, it's amazing that you know that these are the sort of things that people have to do because broadband is everywhere. Absolutely, is absolutely everywhere. But you know, if you go into an individual's home any any time of the day, I'm sure you'll have people complaining about connectivity and network issues. And I mean, I don't know how many conference calls we've all done where somebody's line it wasn't working exactly as expected. Leaving yeah. aside any any background noise. That might be from the children running into the room and they're not supposed to. Yeah, yeah. 
it won't be just the kids screaming about the Wi-Fi anymore. I mean, I you know, you know, I've got kids and all they complain about is the Wi-Fi is terrible or whatever. But actually now it's going to be corporate executives saying, you know, my Wi-Fi, the Wi-Fi isn't working. I mean, we saw, you know, last week that I think in you know, the first days of, of when people were put into lockdown in various countries, you know, Teams actually itself was suffering. There was, there was it wasn't functioning. Not for very long. I think obviously it was it was addressed in terms of the capacity needed, but it was but it was initially was creaking a little bit because everybody was jumping on. You know, I mean, I, I know some local stories of people I know working in various uh, businesses, and actually they're just simply not equipped to work from home. You'd be surprised, but you know, uh, I know people in the in the healthcare industry, and they don't all have laptops. You know, and uh, there's a rush on even running out to buy webcams. <laughs> you can't go try and go down to your local. Uh, technology store today and see if you can buy a webcam forget about it that they're just not yeah. available, they're not available so yeah. simple yeah. little things like that that you have to think about fortunately we you know we're not affected here in our business because we all you know we all have we have the technology but 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 there's many many industries that don't so so small little things to the very large will 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 all you know be very different so despite the 400 billion value that fell off the top five tech companies last week uh, we should probably count ourselves lucky that we're in an industry that we can really work remotely. So that's for sure. I remember Bill Bill Gates a couple of years ago had a famous quote: "If it was that if you if you if your business is not in, on the internet, then your business will go out of business." I, I think that's that's so true, but it's not possible for any companies to you know how does a clothing, the clothing retailer? Yes, it can distribute its clothes remotely, but there's certain things you still need human interaction for. So. Yeah, I think if, if the one the observation in my head is that one, you know, the the tech industry and the software industry in particular is increasingly becoming much more like a utility, and we should count ourselves lucky, despite all of the challenges. Uh, those of us who work in the tech, because at the end of the day, it's going to become more and more important. And we will talk about later some of the some of the rules and regulations on uh, that are coming down coming downstream and I'd be interested to chat to Yumaima as well when we when we, get, we get to talk to her. There's been a few things happening still that are that are worth maybe having a chat about Brendan. Oh, there have yeah yeah there's uh, there's still st- there's still good stories out there. I know we always like to talk about our favorite company IBM and we like to talk about Ginny Romedy and I think we're going to wrap up the, the discussion on Ginny Romedy once and for all on this podcast but but I did hear some Is that it? We're not going to talk about her ever again. Well, I don't know if we'll talk about her necessarily, but 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 she is the but she is the the, the CEO or former CEO that keeps on giving because in 2019, with, you know, the results are were out recently, but some of the, uh, you know, the salaries and payments have been released. So Ginny in 2019 earned over about 20 million dollars, just over 20 million dollars in uh, remuneration uh, from uh, from IBM, and that was on a business IBM business that increased its revenue by. Uh, 0.1% over the year on year they actually missed their own targets they they did you know have a revenue of 77 billion but they missed their targets that they had set internally of 79.4 billion so they missed their targets but she still received a bonus of 11.6 million which was up from 2018 so she can do no wrong obviously in IBM or just they just have, you know interesting remuneration programs but I did read that she did lead a socially responsible approach to AI and that that was one of her KPIs, obviously, for the year. And that resulted in her getting a larger base salary and bonus than she did in 2018. So, yeah, she's well, superwoman. Hopefully we won't, we won't have to lock ourselves up in the future because of some 
crazy developers who might create create some AI that causes as much damage as a as a virus. But that's for another, that's probably for another another podcast. And you had uh, you were telling me earlier you had some news on their ongoing row with with the co-op is that correct oh the ongoing saga yeah yeah so it seems to be done now they're 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 finished you know both sides have finished having their say in the in the courts but this is the project cobalt uh saga which started in 2014 where the co-op contracted with ibm they won the bid uh, ahead of wipro who were the second bidder they won the bid to to deliver them their i suppose their i on their it transformation project which was going to be you know, super duper solution for the insurance group. It was a hundred and seventy-five million pound project. Interestingly, fifty million of that was for the the initial license, and a hundred and twenty-five million over ten years for support. So just twelve point five million a year for support. But anyway, IBM were working with the innovation group, now known as One Insurer, to deliver a solution. Which, which according to IBM, when they were doing their pitch, it was an out of the box white label solution. That could easily be customized for the co-op group within nine months. And that data migration was going to take about 24 months before the co-op were live. But anyway, in about 2015, the project fell off the tracks. And they've been in the courts for a while over this. And it's kind of just wrapping up now. So they're having to take some judgments as to who was right and who was wrong. But obviously, co-op were saying that IBM failed to deliver. They promised them something that didn't exist, which was this out-of-the-box solution that could easily be configured. IBM are blaming co-op and some of their, their consultants. So it's a bit of a, it's trouble, but it's 175 million of a failed project. And it'd be interesting to see where the dice fall on that one. But, you know, but it's a classic tale of software, you know, big complex software project going wrong, you know, a bit of scope creep, I'd imagine. But ultimately, I think it sounds like IBM overpromised and underdelivered. Well, we see it all the time. We see it all the time. I mean, out of the box. I mean, you, you know, to a layman, out of the box is you open the box, <laughs> you take something out, and it and you, you use it. I think in the out of the box way, in the software industry, this is a big issue with the software industry for many, many years. Not just with IBM, is that their out of the box solutions are so far away from even the most complicated flat pack out of the box. Who I come across it as a consumer, it's just outrageous. You know? I forget about it. You can't use that expression anymore. I mean, it's it's not a desktop, you know, piece of software. It's it was a crazy notion that you could customize something that was built in the US in nine months and and, and then hope that it would be delivered. You know, there were just too many challenges. So the CEO of of, of the co-op was pretty scathing in his comments, calling the project a you know a disaster. And the agile approach that IBM and Innovation Group took to the project as being just fraught with problems, you know. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see where the judgment falls. 175 million is at is at stake. Yeah, hopefully we'll see we'll have some update on that in the next podcast. But and you see Oracle let go at over a thousand people here in in Europe. Yeah, I saw that. I mean, 1,300 positions apparently being let go. They had a loss, recorded a loss of over 500 million in 2018, apparently, after taking an impairment charge, according to some of the reports. So, yes, you can see these mega vendors are obviously under a lot, a lot of pressure. I mean, IBM changing their CEO, Oracle increasingly under pressure. I mean, their stock has been under pressure anyway. I think they're um, even before all of the challenges that are there now. I mean, I think at one stage, IBM was was a valuation of less than 80 billion. The first time it's been below that, uh, even 100 billion as a valuation of a company for decades. And uh, Oracle was not too far ahead of it. So, uh, yeah, I think they're all, have, they're all having challenges. 
Are there other, were there one or two other items you were looking at as well, Bren? Yeah, well, I just think, you know, on the topic of today, you know, digital transformation, I was just looking at that a little bit. And uh, so I think it's highly topical, you know, in terms of our, our guest speaker. But yeah, I was just looking at the world and, and, you know, looking at the Fortune 500 companies. And it's something that we've you know referred to before. But it reminded me of the economist, Joseph Schumpeter. I think you know about Joseph Schumpeter. You listen to, you read some of the economists that, that, yeah. that I read. And it talked about, he talks about, you know, creative destruction. So I was trying to investigate, you know, what's going on and why is there so much churn and why are companies failing to survive? And, you know, why only one out of 10 of the original Fortune 500 companies remain on the list today? And the fact that, you know, half of today's companies that are on the in the Fortune 500 will not be there in about 10 years' time, and it's because of, you know, they won't survive because they fail to adapt and change, uh, and they they're overcome by what's known as this, you know, what what uh, Schumpeter uh, termed creative destruction. Um, and really, destru- creative destruction is about the fact that, you know, other companies see an opportunity to be better faster, cheaper, you know, uh, able to serve customers better, you know, deliver goods at lower prices, deliver a quality product, you know, deliver a great customer experience. And that, you know, we see that uh, that churn, that instability of capitalism taking hold, which in Schumpeter's opinion was, uh, you know, it was, it was a positive force of capitalism that the destruction of the old brings in the new. And so, the old jobs are replaced with the new jobs and old companies are replaced with new companies. And the new companies are just more agile, bring in uh, more efficient processes and adapt to change. And, and that's what we're seeing with you know, digital transformation. Those companies that will transform faster uh, will survive. So, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting space. And we've got a very interesting speaker that I think can talk to us a little bit more about it. But it t- tying back you know, what's happening in the world of tech with the world of economics. So I find that quite fascinating that somebody in, you know, in the 1940s and 50s, that his, his economic theorems are, are still alive and well today. Yeah, no, it's amazing. And, and talk about an industry that, that's been decimated, the conference industry. I mean, there's been, we ourselves been impacted by this, but there's been literally hundreds, if not thousands of conferences that have just been postponed. Some of them, and many of them have gone to online versions. But you've got Apple, you've got Microsoft, you've got Gartner, Dell, Facebook. I mean, you name it, these organizations, it's going to, the transformation is going to be just so incredible. I just I don't know where we're going to start. I think we're going to see some real, real change there. And hopefully it'll be changed for the good once we get through this pain, because I think there's going to be some massive change. The, there was some other interesting story. I don't know if you saw the story about um, IBM's row with Airbnb. I mean, I, you know that I, I'm always kind of fascinated with the, the laws around technology, yeah. property, patents, etc. And uh, I have a kind of a view there, as you probably know. I mean, I was looking at this again. This, is, this has happened so many times. I mean, IBM have done this before. They've, they've, they took on Groupon a while back. Um, they took it on Twitter. They, you know, they took on Twitter. I don't know if you remember that when that, uh, Twitter was going for its IPO. That's a real kind of classic. Kind of hit them when they're just about to go public, and uh, the um, and you know, so it just just you know, it's like a really sly dig, um, and you know, they've been pushing back naturally, saying that they're not a a patent troll. Of course, they're going to say that, and uh, because a patent troll technically is somebody who buys patents up and then goes after people mm-hmm. for infringement. Um, 
you know, IBM doesn't really need to do that. It's got seven million patents in its own name already. It's one of the, it's it's got the most patents of any organization. I just think it's it's really interesting to see that they can they're allowed to do this. I mean, it doesn't to me it doesn't make any difference whether you buy the patents or you make the patents. Of course, there needs to be protection. And my my argument for years was that I actually really think that the laws and the rules have been far too heavy towards the creator. And the person who's spending the money on the products, the businesses and society are really uh, on the back foot. It's why you see in in, in technology uh, space, you've got increasingly things like, you know, obviously open source software. Now we've got open source hardware as well, clearly. But what was really interesting, what came out about two weeks ago, was the European European Commission obviously have this whole plan. It's called a European Green Deal. But they came out with the Circular Economy Action Plan. I don't know, it might have been seen. These sort of things are going to get missed now because of the only news, really, we're all watching is coronavirus. But what's really interesting about this is that it's going to start looking at how are we going to extend the life cycle of products? You know, how do we allow the right to repair as a priority, including software? Okay, and this is they've already said this, that they are prepared to review the laws around that. Well, that includes intellectual property laws, uh, IP exhaustion laws, patent exhaustion laws, whatever the laws may be. They're prepared to look at these things. This is the first time this has ever happened. And you're also going to start seeing my prediction is you'll see the exact same thing happening in the US, because ultimately what's happening here is that I believe these organizations, the mega vendors included, have been holding people to hostage. And it might be a good time to bring Yamima yeah. back in into the conversation. I think Yamima, you've joined us. Um, Yamima Hyder, how are you? Are you there? Yeah, I'm there. How are you? I'm very good. I, I hope you're well. And you're you're in London today, is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Well, I hope you're being safe. I suspect, like us all, you're locked in and keeping safe before we went we went on air we heard news there that uh, your prime minister contracted the the coronavirus i'm, I'm not sure whether that was fake or real news but uh it just shows it no, nobody is free from from it and no matter what you might think of him uh, i think we won't wish we wish him the, all the best and getting better i think it's it's been an interesting conversation I, I think you were listening to the conversation we've been having Yumaima. I don't know whether you you you're, you have a view on some of the things we're talking about that you would like to share with us. Have any thoughts on some of the things we're talking about? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, the big question is that how could we keep the pace with the digital transformation? I mean, that's the main thing. As Brendan mentioned, that there are certain companies in Fortune 500 list that have been become obsolete. I mean, this is the reason that they couldn't cope up with the digital transformation things. I mean, I just take that how we could keep the pace with digital transformation. I mean, from my perspective, if I try to explain in the layman terms, is the is that we have to catch the train from the station. Individuals and organizations need to get on board quickly in order to achieve this business goal. If we couldn't able to cope up, we couldn't able to maintain the currency with rapidly changing digital technologies. I mean, in terms of software, hardwares, I mean, maybe I'll discuss some of the case studies regarding to hardware as well. So, I mean, uh, this is our, some of the importance that we need to touch upon. Like, for example, these days, everybody working remotely. If I give the example of Adobe, who moved to digital transformations. I mean, it was founded in 1982 and they offer software for desktop PCs. And now it has become a massive cloud services company that surpassed $11 billion revenue in 2019. The other examples that we all talk about, the Microsoft, it's like uh, recently the Microsoft received a 
uh, released a report which says that uh, uh, $33.7 billion revenue they have in their quarter of 2019. And the main chunk is come up with Azure, in, uh, that is 64% of their revenue, and the other is Surface 14% and LinkedIn up to 25%. Just imagine, I mean, due to this pandemic situation, Microsoft having introduced Azure in 2010, and which, uh, how could people able to use the cloud services? And the other example is like you also touched upon this MS Teams. The people are using the Teams, and if we have seen last week that uh, active users from 32 million to 44 million, and if you look their last year report, is that in July they have only 13 million users. Now you can see that how the people are using and moving towards the digital technology. The company need to be focused. I mean, the thing is that in various ways, they need to follow the policies, best practices and standards, and not only to educate their employee to and benefits their employee, that they should provide latest skills need to work in this emerging economy. And obviously, they have to focus on the new metrics and the KPIs that relate to this. So, I mean, I'd say it is important. I'm in this case, too, we should move on towards the digital transformation strategy. What happens if you don't? Okay, I get you, and I agree with you. There's many trains that we we need to be on, and and you mentioned Adobe, and you mentioned Microsoft. There, I think you're right that some of the things that they've done have been fantastic. But what happens if you don't want, and it's not appropriate to catch some of the trains that are turning up at the station? <laughs> Going back to your analogy, uh, because it's not always about catching every, you know. There are trends, there are things that, you isn't it about maybe analyzing what is the right thing to do? Because often we see this in our industry, you know, this obsession with the latest, and it's the same with consumers, the latest trend, the latest thing. And often organizations and human beings, we don't stop to think and look at necessarily the impact of that. There may well be certain times where the older technology, is fine. There may be times where, and even in, from a data center perspective, while you might find that the technology stacks that you that you have deployed in your data center are um, maybe not massively efficient when you actually look at each one on its own, and then they may consume more energy than, let's say, a newer footprint. But obviously, with the likes of Moore's law now, obviously, almost becoming redundant, or so that's the that's that's the argument. Perhaps it, you know it makes sense to elongate the life cycles. You know, that's what, you know, in terms of the, the European Economic Action Plan and some of the recent laws that have come out around the Eco-Design Directive, some of that is about saying, listen, guys, we need to have certain rules around it. What's your view on some of that? Not taking necessarily taking some of those trains. Uh, yeah, first I would like to touch upon the thing that you said that it is not necessary to do uh, the refresh or something. I, I, I do agree with this. I mean, there is pros and cons in both things. I was reading a news and it is from the US and it says that, I mean, the title of the news is aging tax means raises for some Americans who lose jobs in coronavirus. They released some uh, news or something like that, that their lower paid US workers could effectively get a short term raise if they lose their jobs during the coronavirus. The aging state means uh, mainframes do not have the ability to calculate different payments per worker. I mean, they released something $2.2 trillion package last week or something, and now they are giving across the board increase of $600 for each worker. And their system is couldn't able to classify that what workers achieve, what, what wages. 
basically the reason was that i mean they the states will have to reprogram their computer system to provide the new benefit to move accordingly to the poor persons and this is that more than half including california new york and pennsylvania still rely on decades old mail frame systems based on cobol language that was first introduced in 1959 and yeah. the consequence yeah. is that yeah the this that that the increase could pay some low wage workers more than they earned on the job which the content carries the risk of inadvertently driving up employment obviously if you get more money than you earn and is while sitting at home who is going to go and work out i mean this is one of the consequences i just came across about the aging technology so i mean i just want to give you one from hardiver perspective just one example that uh, our group have carried out a small piece of research we conducted during the eureka project and that was a eu funded project by european commission's horizon 2020 research and innovation programs in which we have partners from uk ireland netherlands and germany the basic aim of the project is how we can make our data centers that is our ict infrastructure energy efficient and our target was to consider the public sector data centers and we analyzed over 300 public sector data centers that is from the irish government uk government and the netherlands government and once we analyzed their data centers we have given the list of the servers and all the it equipments what they have once we analyzed their dc uh, data centers hardware equipment the interesting thing that we came across is that 40% of their servers were more than 5 years old that make them account for 66% of energy consumption and if you talk in terms of the performance they are only performing 70% of compute capacity just imagine i mean they they are only giving you the useful work of 7% and 7%, you say 7 did you 7% yeah 7% yeah okay yeah and so i mean the list of the servers is long we have analyzed over thousands of servers from across the over 300 public sector data centers they consume 60% 66% of energy consumption now i mean that is what the revealing figure in terms of the scale of wastage energy we come the main idea to share this with you is to demonstrate that aging technology not only reduce your performance it also has a negative environmental impact and economic impact as well like when we gave them like if you just simply shut down these uh, 40% of their servers they could uh, achieve the savings of 66% of energy consumptions overall when we analyze and based on our math- mathematical model we have achieved a savings of over 131 gigawatt hour per year of primary energy and if you convert that into grid efficiency factor it is 52 gigawatt of hour per energy we were able to save around 27000 tons of carbon emissions per year in our, during the project when we analyzed this over 300 public sector data centers we came across couple of saving opportunities i mean in terms of this like old hardware if you remove refresh your hardware then you can save lots amount of energy the other thing is about the utilization of the servers we have seen that most of their servers are utilized on an average of 20% utilization so if they increase the utilization of their servers there should be a chances of increase i mean in the capacity as well i mean as, as you touch about the eco design legislation that is what the legislation um, came across i mean based on the utilization and things and what the regulation says that we have to uh, cap the some uh, idle power reduction of the idle power at least to the 10% and 
the something like about the material efficiency thing as well that how you can easily disassemble your equipment as well i mean yeah. to make it properly in terms of the refurbishment aspect as well yeah no i, I hear you and I, I think you make you make some valid points there i guess the only thing that we're, the skeptic in me looks at that and goes yes you can make the savings in energy and it's about it's, i guess it's about what trains do we need to catch i think you're right there are times when I think you do need to make these changes. But, you know, even with that, what you're saying, I'm always a little skeptical about, you know, the just focusing on one specific area, like a data center and its energy consumption and utilization, like the replacement cost, the cost of actually manufacturing, of shipping, of the actual risk. And I mean, I mean, we work in the software world where the biggest risk you know, so let's say we have lots of clients who run software applications on very old technology, okay? And they actually do it for good reason. You mentioned the one in the United States running COBOL. One of the challenges they have is that they, and okay, I think your particular case, the probably a change is good. But for many companies, actually, the job that the software does is absolutely adequate, okay? They don't want to make a change, Okay. Um, and it's not a case in all cases, but they don't want to make a change. Let's say a very simple process, a billing system for a, a utility company where the number of users is not changing. And the actual, there's no need to make any changes to the, what's on the bills. So there's no growth in population and there's no growth in users. So they don't need to do anything different other than maybe just print the bills or calculate the bills. That's it. That's all it does. Nothing sexy about it. They don't need to make any changes. The risk of them changing it is actually like replacing that hardware when it's actually perfectly fit for purpose is actually downtime that people don't receive the bills. Therefore, the company doesn't get paid. They're ultimately then that they then actually have to charge higher potential prices down the line to their customers, which has an economic cost, plus also the manufacturer of all of the equipment that actually has to come in to replace it. So there's there's other. I just think the story is is always wider. I accept what you say in terms of the research that you've done. I think it's I think it's an important part of the story, uh, and I think it's just I think the, there's there's always for me it's always about before I catch a train I want to make sure I know where I'm going and and exactly what's going on when, when which direction the train is going is it the right train to be on I think you've seen and you know as 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 more and more of the software and hardware becomes obsolete. What about the vendors themselves, the, the manufacturers, the, 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 the big companies who make the technology? I mean, obviously, you're familiar with the, the ones that, are, that make the data center technology. We're familiar with the ones that make, make the software. What do you think their role is in tackling some of this kind of sustainability challenges? Follow the policy standards and the best practices, I would say. That is the thing. I mean, to make it damn sustainable, to cope up what the society needs. I mean, it's the main thing as a resource that it must be widely adopted by companies before society adapts it. So I think so that is the main point to make it sustainable. And obviously, the second thing is that, as you said, that people don't want to go for the replacement or downtime. Or then they need to think about the circular economy approach as well. I mean, refurbishment, as I'm aware of that in north of UK, in Scotland, that HP has some recycling unit. And last year, they released some figures that they receive 4 million units to for uh, as a recycle purpose. And in that 80% of them, they have recycled, repaired, and they are used. It's not only the HP equipment, uh, other vendors are, were involved in that as well. 
So, and 20% was safely removed. So they need to consider about the environmental impact. Well, as you know, in December, that European president, European Commission president, she said that by 2050, the EU should be net zero. And in terms of the EU in data centers, this is by 2030, that should be net zero carbon emission. If he is still using the old hardware, I mean, back more than three or five years, that is not giving you more useful work rather than consuming, sitting and consuming energy. We need to consider about the hardware refresh. I think that is the thing uh, that we need to consider that either we go for the refurbishment or refresh of the hardware. It depends how old is your service, either it is before 2015, that I would say that you should refresh. If it is after 2015, model or manufacturers, I would say that it, it won't keep in harm. I mean, it just increase your utilization as well. Like last week, Vodafone in UK says that they have a 50% capacity in their utilization. So they are not worried like these days the people are using more the network. So they are able to manage this thing out. I would say from what I'm seeing the news in terms of the cloud services, they, that is the only market due to this uh, COVID-19 is not getting any negative impact in terms of the economy. And Amima, Brandon here. So we've been talking about the reuse, recycling, you know, sustainability of the of the older tech. What about the, you know, future technologies? How do you see future technologies becoming, you know, more sustainable, maybe more durable, if that's the right term? Uh, is there anything you could comment on that, do you think? I would say, like, I mean, it is, we need a future technology, like, for example, like 5G is coming up. So we need to cope up some uh, hardware equipments according to their requirements, as well as Hawaii says that 5G networks will support thousandfold gains in capacity connections for at least 100 billion devices and a 10 gigabit per second individual user experience of extremely low latency and response times. So we need make like, for example, the routers and the switches up to that uh, standard, to that configuration that uh, that we could able to meet the 5G. And obviously there are more services coming in the cloud computing. The best example is the distributed ledger technology. You can hold multiple records in, uh, in different systems. And the best example of digital ledger technology is that most people come across is blockchain. And blockchain is one type of a digital distributed ledger. In other words, it comes under the umbrella of distributed ledger technology. The most common example, if I say a blockchain application, is cryptocurrency. And among those, if you see, uh, I was just saying last night only, we have over 2,000 cryptocurrency. And one of the most common is Bitcoin. What used to be in last few years, people used to begin doing the mining at home. Now it has been scaled up to, the, we have dedicated data, data centers that do the Bitcoining mining. So we have an uh, introduction of the new uh, equipment like the anti-miners from the Bitmans who released last uh, October in Frankfurt as well. Oh, no, I was more thinking my, about, you know, the use of open source software, open source hardware. If you had something brief, you could kind of mention on that. What, what do you think about the use of, of that, like the Open Compute Project or, you know, Open 19? Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if somebody gave me the option that I will say that everything should be open source mm. because it would be much easier. Like last week only, there was a debate on that, uh, that Amazon released some healthcare or services on their cloud services as well. 
So and they are trying to make it open so that the more people, more scientists across the world will come and contribute. And that was the one example that in that day we could expedite the things and made the coronavirus vaccine much quicker rather than restricting it to one country and not people allowing them to contribute in this thing. And the best example in terms of the hardware is that open source hardware, which has been, I mean, came across in around 2011 from Facebook and Microsoft, Google, Goldman Sachs, and other companies has contributed to this. And the main idea with them is to provide super efficient designs that any company can use to build their own hardware. So uh, this is one example. And in 2017, LinkedIn initiated Open19 as well. Open source software, we have seen it from the last two decades. They are in place like, for example, Mozilla Firefox web browser, PHP scripting language, and Apache HTTP web servers. My concern is that we need to raise the awareness in terms of the open source hardware to make it more efficiently to grow. And even we could work together and make these things expedite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely. Sounds like awareness is a problem. Yeah, and I think one of the things you make a good point there about open source, and you mentioned some of the vendors earlier. We've talked about IBM, you mentioned HP. Um, uh, uh, Amima, I think to wrap this up, I would have a view on that as well. Like yourself, open source, whether it be open source hardware, open source software, is the way to go ultimately. And the tech, the tech industry in general, has been resistant for that of that because it feels that it can't control its revenue stream if it's gone open source. And I think that there's a mindset change needed. And I think it's not going to come from the vendors. It's got to come from policymakers. They've got to make certain changes to the, to the rules. And that's why I go back to what I said earlier about the European Commission Act, Act, the Circular Economic Action Plan. This is really good stuff that's coming out of Europe. I think you're going to see the same things coming out of the States when, that, when all this issue around coronavirus settles down and hopefully we end up in a, in a better place by the time we do our next podcast. But thank you, Amaima. I really appreciate your, your input. We've got to wrap this up for this month. We've had a fantastic interaction there. Brendan, I'm sorry we're not together. We're going to be together hopefully next time, but maybe not, depending in, four, in three or four yeah. weeks' time. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it the next time, but hopefully that'll come, come to pass. But it's been very enjoyable none, nonetheless uh, with yourself and, and Amaima today. Great. And we have, we're back in the 21st of April. We'll have uh, Martin Thompson, who is the founder of ITAM Review and the author of the Practical ITAM, chair of the ITAM Forum, doing a lot of work around the ISO standards for the ITAM and a community and industry. So it's the changing role of a software asset manager, changing role of SAM. So hopefully we get a few of our software asset managers and those who are not in the software asset management role, they might be interested to understand what it is those of the software asset management community do. That's on the 21st of April. We have also got, yeah, next week we have Guy Tritton. We're back on US time zone, 2 p.m. Eastern time to run another webinar on those of you who have IBM who may well be listening, hopefully. Know your IBM rights from uh, one of the foremost legal experts on this side of the pond, on the European side. So yeah, without further ado, thank you, Yamaima. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you very much for inviting me. Yes, thanks indeed, Jemima. Thank you the most and talk to you soon and hopefully see you soon. We'll all see you next time. Keep safe and stay indoors. Do as we're all told and we'll get through this no problem. Thank you. Bye-bye.